And I think one of the first things to do is to really think about how you actually talk to yourself and and the language that you use and then thinking about is that actually positive or am I very self-critical? Hello and welcome to the Medical Women podcast, the podcast from the Medical Women's Federation, the largest body of women doctors in the UK. I'm Dr. Nathana Bayankaram, I'm the Vice President of MWF, and I have the honour and joy of being your host, as each week we hear from wonderful guests to help you feel more empowered and confident on your medical career journey. Hello, I hope that you're all keeping well. Spring is in full bloom here in the UK, and I think it's my favourite season. It makes me think of new beginnings and gives me hope and inspiration. And I hope that you all feel lots of hope and inspiration at the end of this podcast episode. So this week, I'm joined by the lovely Susie Edwards, who is a careers coach, and she works closely with medics at all career stages. And we discuss a topic that I'm sure you will know well, imposter syndrome. As we've heard from previous guests, imposter syndrome can affect many very successful medical men and women, and I think it's really reassuring to hear how common it is. I want this podcast to help empower and inspire, so Susie gives us some really practical tips we can use to tackle our inner imposters. I even ended up having some impromptu coaching, which I hope you'll find helpful when you listen to it. I actually felt really uncomfortable trying to articulate and own my strengths, but I think this is something that we all need to get better at. I hope you find this episode helpful in tackling your own imposter syndrome. So welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Medical Women podcast. And today I'm really excited to be speaking with Susie Edwards. Um, Hello, Susie. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to talking about our topic with you. So if you can start off by telling us a little bit about you and about your career. Oh, of course. So I suppose one of the best ways to start is that curiosity really led me to do what I love, which is really understanding what motivates people to do what they do in relation to their work. Um, I run an organisation called Wonderif, which really focuses on um, professional development and coaching. And I predominantly work within medicine, science and academia. So the three really lend themselves well to each other. But I also do a few random things, which is where I work for organisations that are not like that as well. So I have three strands of interest, um, career wellness, uh, leadership and management, and really around how we communicate the best in our work. So that's what I do. Yeah. Brilliant. And I met Susie virtually when she uh, did a workshop a couple of months ago and I just thought it was brilliant and her energy was wonderful. And I immediately emailed her and said, please come on the podcast. So Susie, you work, as you said, you work a lot with medical professionals and you were telling me that when you work particularly with women, imposter syndrome comes up quite a lot. And I think, I think imposter syndrome sort of means slightly different things to different people. So I was wondering if you can tell us what what imposter syndrome means to you and what kind of things you see quite commonly in in medical women that you work with. Yeah, of course. So just to take a step back, one of the things that I've I've been doing it probably now for about 15 years is I do one-to-one work. um, Mm -hmm. And I do that for um, lots of organisations, but I work within Health Education England to do that as one of their career coaches. So over the years, what I've been able to do is develop um, areas of interest 
And one of the areas that I really um, focus on is the value that women bring to the workplace after a break. So sometimes what I'm seeing is that, and the breaks can be for all sorts of reasons. It can be for travel, for research. It might well be related to family or other things. But when someone's stepped away and comes back in, they're having a transition. And so one of the things that can happen with that is that that transition can lead to certain feelings around our own inner critics. So what can happen is that imposter syndrome in essence is really it refers to an experience when you think that you've succeeded at something due to luck, good fortune or because of the support of other people. And it's not necessarily you saying that actually I'm not giving myself credit for what I've achieved. And sometimes one of the things that I've noticed over the years, and this can also be due to the way that we've been brought up. And it also connects to gender. And I would even go as far as saying potentially stereotyping at a younger age where the kind of roles and behaviours of uh, males and females is slightly different. And sometimes what can happen is that the idea of thinking about, well, I've got there because of the support from other people. I've seen that happen more predominantly than women than men. But one of the things that's interesting about imposter syndrome um, is that it actually does uh, happen with both genders. 70% of the population will have elements of imposter syndrome at any time. So it's not something that's just exclusively for females. But what I've noticed is that it happens more than anything else. And the key thing is that when people are thinking about the good fortune or the support from other people, it's not due to their talent. It's not due to the competence or the skill or the qualifications. It's actually as if, if you can imagine you tapping me on my shoulder and me looking around saying, you know, should I be here? It's that kind of where we're not quite, and as we progress through, one of the things that happens, particularly within medicine, is you're, and within medicine, we're all technically brilliant at what we do. You know, you're all great in terms of expertise, you're learning and growing, but alongside it, you're also asked to take on other responsibilities mm-hmm. and as if you can just do it like that so that you can manage and lead and kind of be someone who can create service provision, understand about how to do quality improvement, to bring other people with you. And actually, these are things that some people will take years to develop in terms of skills. But we find within medicine, you often are asked to do that straight away. So it's about that confidence. And because of that, it comes in more. And just in terms of it's been the term itself was originally coined um, by um, uh, Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes back in, I think, the 1970s. And so it has been something that's been around for a while. And a lot of their research um, originally looked at uh, high achieving females um, and then moved across to both looking at both genders, just to give you the background. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Thank you for that, Susie. That's that's really helpful because I think we hear the term imposter syndrome sort of you know, banded about a lot, but actually... I think the the meaning of it sometimes sometimes does get lost or, or it means different things to to different people. So you mentioned that um that sometimes we have our own limiting beliefs and inner critical voices. So I wonder if you can touch a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think self-doubt in a way when we start to think about it, each of us will have different things that kind of create to our um limiting beliefs and I suppose when I'm thinking about this self-limiting beliefs in a way can sometimes sort of fuel a bit of fear and it's important that we can be clear and understand a little bit more about what our self-limiting beliefs are and so perhaps what might be quite good to do is if I just highlight perhaps a few of these and then just for anyone who's listening in and watching now one of the things is just to make a little note of what I'm saying and just thinking about it so in terms of the drivers 
there's roughly about sort of six. There'll be probably more, but there's six that immediately come to mind for me. And one of the things that's really important, and if you think back to yourself, even back in childhood and being at school, for some of you, you know, do you know how you met some people who would always put their hand up? And even if they weren't right, they'd be like this. But some people might only put their hand up if they know that they're right. And they don't like being wrong. And one of the things that can happen within the medical journey is that usually people have been there everyone's really bright everyone as intellectually has has got themselves to a particular level but there's something around perfectionism that of course you need because you're really working in with that you're, you're dealing with patient safety quality and care you know so perfectionism needs to be there but the concept of being perfect I can't do that until it's perfect can sometimes mean that that might hold us back a bit so there's something to think about around that and one of the other uh, drivers or I suppose limiting beliefs might be around this concept of you know the hurry up you know it's I'll squeeze that into or it's better if I just do it myself and I know that it's done and so one of the things that can happen around the, the belief system is that actually it's it's better if we do that so we'll just do it now but one of the things to think about is that if you're doing that and as you develop in your career you want to be nurturing that talent around you and so there's a question to be asked around by squeezing it in whose benefit is that for and um, it's ultimately for you in the short term but thinking more widely then there's a massive area which will impact, I'm sure, everyone at some shape or form, which is the concept of pleasing others. And so that there's a whole big piece of genre around what's called the disease to please. But one of the things that you do see, and you do see this more in women than men, but it's not, again, exclusive, but this idea of saying yes, because we don't know how to say no. And so there's something around that idea of the role modeling, who's asking it, and the concepts around that. So that ability to feel like I need to kind of please. And that permeates through work and life. There's, it's not, you know, it's something that we all have. And then the fourth one is this idea about showing strength and being strong and not seeking and asking help. So there's this idea of like, I need to cope on my own. I don't want to show that I don't understand it or I don't have it. And there's something about, takes a lot of practice, but there's something about knowing when to show that vulnerability to say, actually, this is something that I really want to do well to develop and enhance my career or my expertise, but I need some guidance on exactly how to do that. So there's something about recognizing that strength that you have, but knowing when to kind of seek for support. So there's something around, if I ask for it, I'll be showing that I can't do it or I've got that weakness. So there's something about that that connects in. And then one of the other limiting beliefs is this concept of not necessarily perfectionism, but this idea of being absolutely thorough when is enough. And so sometimes I see people feeling like they kind of need to be at platinum where actually bronze, silver, gold is also fine too. And it's also sometimes around our own boundaries around where we set things about when we're trying to do all those plates and spinning everything that we do. There is a level that we have acceptance of knowing this is the best that I can do right now. And this is where I am with that. In order for me to be able to take it to that next level, I need to be able to let go of something to be able to do that because I can't keep spinning all of those plates. And then the final one is this idea about, you know, really the, the ability of trying hard and almost trying too hard. So sometimes we want to sort of show that we are kind of going as far as we can. And actually, as a result of that, we 
we just kind of almost push ourselves too much. And that's sometimes where we're not recognizing that actually just maybe taking a bit of a pause, stepping away and actually unplugging ourselves from work is just as important as being in. So knowing that that kind of a limiting belief of just keeping on going and doing and doing might not necessarily be benefiting your health or your well-being. So they're the they're what I see as the main drivers. So being perfect, hurry up, please others, be strong, uh, try hard, be thorough. So I'm sure that I know which ones I am. My ones are still that ability of pleasing others. I'm a work in progress. Although I train and have so much on that, I always find that, oh, I think I'd love to do that or I would love to help. And I need to know exactly, my best tech there is know what you want to say yes to. So then you can say no. So that's what I really built in, which is which is that one. Uh, and sometimes I'll do hurry up, which is just, it's easier if I do it myself. So they're my, my ones. Do you have any that you would have that you'd recognize in yourself? Yes, I mean, I was nodding along to all of those, so I recognize all of those. And I think it's quite reassuring to hear that they're common ones, because, you know, a lot of the time we don't talk about these things. So I think that's that's really helpful. I think the first one, the perfectionism one, definitely, when you were describing it, I was thinking, oh my goodness, that's me. And even, you know, even with, with this podcast, it was something where I've been like wanting to do the podcast for, for quite a while and I spent ages sort of planning it and like, was like, oh, I want everything to be perfect and was reading about it so much and then, in the end, um, it was just sort of like, I just have to get started and I'll learn as I go on. And it might not be perfect, but it's fine. I'll just keep learning and just roll with it and it'll be fine. So I hope I'm getting better at that one. Um, and the disease to please one, definitely. I definitely recognize that I still have that. And I guess it's it's because, you know, it comes from good intentions, I guess, that we do want to help other people and we want to do what we can for other people. But there's only so much that you can say yes to so yeah it would be uh, it would be great if you can give us a few tips on how we can how we can sort yeah, of manage I, things I, I'd love to do that and just one thing that just struck me there when you were saying about good intentions there's a, a lovely quote by the writer Augustine Burroughs who says I am myself made up entirely of flaws stitched together with good intentions and I think sometimes when we're thinking about ourselves it is a bit of that really where you know we're all our own little uh if we could think about ourselves all being kind of that jigsaw or stitching together and making a blanket we're all kind of in our own little ways of doing things Things. And I think fundamentally, all of us start off with good intentions. It's just other things get in the way. And I think one of the first, um, there's a few things that I was thinking about, but one of the first things that I think that we can all really uh, manage and actually think about from today is actually how we talk to ourselves. And the way that we actually talk to ourselves really matters. And if I was to give you an example about this, and, and this is something that is really hard to do right now but it's something you could think about later but is paying attention to your thoughts for example do you speak really quickly or slowly in your head so let me give you an example of this so say for example I don't know you've got a partner or a manager or even a patient who's been I guess who's come across and they're a little bit angry you know and and immediately with that kind of anger that's coming across they're speaking at speed and they're kind of going like this one of the things to think about is in your head is anytime that someone is angry, immediately think about something positive about them. Whether it be 
you know, just as, as soon as you can, because one of the first things that happens is it alleviates your response triggers and it allows you to then think about your own thoughts and it starts to slow them down. And one of the things that you can then do is you could say something like, I mean, again, you'll all have your own ways of doing it, but what you are saying is really important. Can you slow down what you're saying so that I can process? In, in essence, really listen with the same intent as you want to be heard. And I think one of the first things to do is to really think about how you actually talk to yourself and, and the language that you use. And then thinking about, is that actually positive or am I very self-critical? And many people will do this in lots of different ways. I know all of you will really reflect, you'll write, you'll think. Some people will journal. You can even make notes on, on your phone or elsewhere. But I think it's really useful that if you feel that this is something that's getting in your way, that you can start to identify uh, the moments of when you're actually using positive language. And likewise, you might identify this in others. So you might find that people keep coming to you saying the problem is, the issue is, the challenge is. And what you really want to try and do is to help them uh, to reframe. And there's a really wonderful technique, which was originally created by Martin Siegman. It's connected into um, positive psychology. But one of the things that I think could be helpful in this moment is a technique called the, it's called the ABCD, but it's called cognitive reframing. Some of you will, some of you will know about it really well already, but I'll break it down into what each of them are. And maybe if I do that by giving an example, I think that might help. So within cognitive reframing, the idea behind it is that when you're sort of thinking about yourself around something that's perhaps, you know, I should have done more of this, I should have done more research into that, I should have thought more about when you were saying about, you know, I've got everything that I can, but something could go wrong and you're, immediately if something goes wrong, you're blaming yourself for it, you know, those kinds of things. The first thing is looking at the concept of adversity, which is what is the setback that I am confronting? And one of the things that you can really do here is make a note of that. So I guess if we're thinking, let's take an example. So a colleague has criticized an idea that you've had for improving the way that you manage, I don't know, patient records, say in a multidisciplinary meeting, and you're new to the department. And so immediately that's the kind of adversity. So someone's criticized. The B stands for belief. So that is that my beliefs, my feelings and, and concerns are around this challenge. So the first thing that you might then do alongside that is your immediate reaction might be, well, they're right. What do I know? I'm new to the department. I'm new to the team. I don't really know how things are run. I should never have suggested that in the first place. You know, so all of a sudden we start to kind of have this ripple effect of where we've got the setback and then we're kind of conveying our emotions and our feelings, which is the B. Now, the C is the consequence. And that's really where we start to think about how are these thoughts really impacting my judgment and are they actually based on any fact? Where's the data? And so one of the things that you can start to then do is that consequence could run. So we've gone from the meeting, not you know speaking and saying something that someone said actually is no good. So the consequence of that could be that your brain then says, oh, I feel a bit silly. You know, I've decided that, you know, I'm not going to go to the next meeting. You know, if I can, I'm going to avoid it because actually, you know, what can I really contribute? So I'm going to make an excuse. But in terms of then doing that, if we then look at the D, which is the dispute, this is where you start to maybe gather. So if you start to think about it is the three things to really ask yourself is, is there any factual evidence of this? It's like, where is it coming from? You know, that supports my belief. So although the colleague criticized the idea, they weren't necessarily having a go at you personally. You know, you're new to the department, you know, and it could have been discussed before. 
you didn't have time to potentially cover it in the way that you wanted to. So there's a few things that you can think about in relation to that. And then the second part is really trying to think about, well, what alternatives are there? You know, so are there other things that I could have thought about? Maybe there are other people in that room that were genuinely interested in hearing my thoughts or how can I think about introducing myself in the best way? And then the third part really is thinking about the implications. So if I don't go to the next one, I'm losing out on the chance of building relationships. Probably most people have forgotten about it anyway. You know, I only spoke for a li- literally two minutes, you know, before things were kind of, you know, so it's really trying to get you to do that. Now, I'm going into a bit more detail, but it's the idea behind it by doing the ABCD is that you're starting to really question, you know, your, your thoughts and trying to really purge them. So it's called purging your inner critic. And so the idea is that you start to think thematically. So it might be that you think about some of those unpleasant feelings that you have and really thinking, are they based on reality or is it in my own perception? And so for me, that's one of the things that I think is tremendously beneficial. It's really very quick to do and it's uh, it really helps you. I think um, I think that's a really helpful framework to have. Just as you're speaking there, I was sort of I was thinking, how how can we do it if we're on the if we're on the other side of that and we're the one that's given the feedback or we, you know, somebody, somebody suggested something and we've said, oh, that's good, but no, no, I don't think so. And we haven't, you know, we, we've not realized that they have then got gone into having all of these critical thoughts and then they're going through all of this. What can we do to then support them while, while they're going through that? Because I think it sort of, it works both, both ways, doesn't it? It really, it really does. I mean, I guess there's something that immediately um, comes to mind. So one of the things about feedback, so I suppose when you're, when you're giving feedback out, each of us have a particular style of giving feedback. So for some people, we might be um, more conscientious in the way that we provide feedback. So that might be where we use our, we, we're using kind of data and logic to do it. For other people, they might be very directive, like that example there. So mm-hmm. both of those ones don't really include any kind of composure or harmony necessarily. And so one of the first things I would get, get us all to think about is what's our natural style? And does, did that actually lend itself to that person? Now, in this example, we don't know each other. And because we're new to the department and new to the team. And it, um, there, is another, there is another really lovely technique for uh, when you're providing feedback to someone uh, where... I'm just trying to think whether it would fit naturally into that one because you don't know the mindset of what someone else is thinking. So I suppose one of the nice things to maybe have done with that, if you had the chance to see body language, you might have recognised that perhaps that person kind of was feeling a little bit more, took a step back. And one of the things that you might want to do is do a follow-up, however that might be. And and the a, a nice technique of doing that is really thinking about the situation. So you would say, you know, in last week's uh, multidisciplinary team meeting, we were talking about this idea, but actually you didn't have a necessarily an opportunity. And I said, you know, this, because actually did it. So the, the technique is called situation, behavior and impact. So the idea is talking about the situation and then you talk about kind of the behavior that you kind of demonstrated at that time. So you might say, you know, we were really short of time. You know, I it's something that we've done before. And I realized afterwards that you might not know that. And so I just, the impact of that might be this and this. So it's called SBI and it's really nice to, but you have to know to use it. And so I guess that my hesitation really there was for that, for when you're processing your own internal thoughts, sometimes it can be hard to know if that person needed it or not. But I guess that would also be demonstrating that compassionate, inclusive leadership that most of you will, you know, just thinking about that within yourselves. So I guess I'm trying to think whether that one 
whether someone would instinctively do that or not. And it would be much more based on someone's personality, I think. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Susie. That, that's really helpful. So the ABCD um, you were saying is one framework and then you said that there's another framework that, that okay, well, so tell us a bit more things, about that. Yeah. One of the other things that I think can be helpful to um, do is often what we sometimes do is think about the worst possible outcome in a situation. Yeah. And so one of the things that we sometimes do without meaning to is there's what happens, and I guess there's what happens next. So if you were trying to think about, and this is where you were sort of thinking about the receiver's shoes about sometimes, sometimes we prepare for that worst, that worst situation or that worst scenario. And there's three things to try and do. And this is a really nice thing to try and sketch out. And um, so the first thing might be, so if you were particularly asking for something, so you were asking for uh, to get involved in a particular project or you were really interested in them putting together a piece of uh, training or to do a piece of teaching and um, but you know that you haven't got lots of time to do that and you'd like to be able to kind of put it in and you need to ask for that time you know so what we'll immediately do in our head is think about what the worst possible outcome is and that will be that someone says no <laughs> and then we have this kind of acceptance of that but there is actually two other things that could happen there is the likelihood of something happening, which is that someone saying, well, what, what do you think you could do to be able to make this happen? So you already have started to think about how you could make it. Or actually, the thing that people don't prepare for, which is where someone says yes, and tell me more about how you're going to do it. So the, when we have imposter syndrome or elements of inner critic, we tend to think more on the, on the negative rather than actually on the likelihood or thinking about the best possible outcome that we could have. And so um, I don't necessarily want to keep sharing acronyms, but there is something that's really useful, um, particularly in relation to imposter syndrome, which is looking at, um, you could almost draw three circles. So the th three circles could go in like this. So you have like a bit like a dartboard, like a dartboard where you've got one rim out here, then you've got in here and in the middle. And so the idea would be, and you don't, it doesn't necessarily matter what order it's in, by the way, but the idea being thinking about uh, what's totally in your control. So the idea about noting what you have control of. And then the next thing would be thinking about what's completely out of your control. So what's out of your control and what do you then need to accept in relation to that? And then the, the third part is what's partially in your control. So where are your areas that you could influence and how could you influence? So for example, you know, some of the influencing techniques that you could potentially use is you could do something called creating scarcity so that one is it might be one of the first so by doing it you might be the first in the department or it might be something that's within the curriculum that you need to have happen and by putting it together you're being able to help the department and team so you're one of the first of doing that the other one might be um something which is called establishing a precedent so the idea behind that is that other people are doing it elsewhere in other hospitals so if you don't do it then you're kind of behind the curve and uh, there is another way where you could do something which is called it's known as the cost of inaction. So like what would happen if you didn't do it? So I guess in a way, what you're trying to really do here is because we're so keen to think about what could go wrong, we sometimes then forget to think about what happens if it goes right and we can do it and what do we then say? And so I think there's something around that that can be really helpful for us to work on. And by doing that, we start to really build themes around our areas of strength. And then that can really start to help play more to our strengths which I wouldn't mind thinking about next yeah yep sure go for it let's let's talk about playing to our strengths 
Yeah, so I think one of the things I find particularly, so particularly in medicine, two parts, in medicine and also with women, which is really what we're really focusing in on today, is that sometimes, and this connects into imposter, is in medicine, you're often challenged and critiqued around what you can do better, you know? So you're kind of conditioned, you're critiqued, this is, you're, this is how you can do to improve. But sometimes what could be quite nice to do is to just step back a bit and just think, hold on, what are the strengths that I'm actually really good at? And if we think about some of those in relation to competencies, I'm not necessarily thinking about clinical expertise here. I'm thinking about some of the knowledge, so around our creativity, around our emotional intelligence, around our problem solving skills, around the way that we are flexible and how adaptable in the way that we work, around thinking about how we inspire and motivate others and starting to think a little bit around or the way that we communicate what are some of the strengths that we have? And so the activity that's really helpful in relation to this is to kind of think about how we build on those strengths. So what can I do? And this then connects a little bit more into our brand at work, if I can call it that. So each of us have our own way of representing ourselves. And one of the wonderful things that can happen throughout our career is we have an opportunity at different stages to really think about that, whether it be whether we move rotation, whether it be when we move into new roles, and also when and beyond how we might support and shape and mentor other people as we go through our career. But this idea around what do we want to be known for in terms of our strengths, it's really fantastic to just take a moment to think about what those might be. And so what might be interesting, if you didn't mind, was if it would be okay for me to put you on the spot and maybe for you to think about it, and then I'm going to build on something with that. So is that okay? Yeah, yeah, so sure. What would you What would you say some of your strengths are? Uh, so this is something that always makes us feel uncomfortable, isn't it? Because we're used to talking about things that we can improve on and not our strengths, and especially when there's a microphone in front of us recording. Um, but I guess what I would say is my strengths um, are um, kind of emotional intelligence and being yeah. able to sort of read how how the team is um, yeah. and then adapting what we're doing uh, based based on that. I always get feedback about my communication skills. So I'd say that they're definitely one of my strengths because I've got to either communicate my academic work to people that don't know about the topic or communicate clinical things to um, young children and parents or other other members of of the team uh, I guess team teamwork is is a big thing both clinically and also with um with the with the medical women's federation we definitely yeah. work work very closely as a team so I, I think those I would say is my main ones Oh, that's lovely. I just made a note of it. The reason I was just uh, sketching there was that within within those three, so if we think about the emotional intelligence side, the communication, and also the teamwork, one of the things that can be really useful activity to do to build on this is that once you've identified it, so if we take communication, for, for example, if you think about communication, in what way do you really enjoy communicating? And as you just mentioned there, you mentioned sort of client groups in particular scenarios, but how do you like to communicate? Is it in, in small groups? Is it in one-to-one? Is it in the way that you kind of teach and impart that? Do you love being able to convey complex information and break that down into a meaningful way to the different groups that you work with? 
but actually there might be other aspects of the way that you communicate. So if you think about this in terms of developing that strength and skill further, are you someone that likes to talk about it in the way that you communicate? Are you someone that likes to write about it? Are you someone that likes to research and share? So all of a sudden what you're starting to do is you're taking that strength, but you're exploring it out further. And then it gives you something to really start to become, what do I want to be recognized for? So if we take the other one, for example, around, let's just take um, teamwork, for example. One of the things that might be really interesting to look at is that if that's an area of passion, then you could start to really explore, well, what does teamwork really mean to me in what I do? And actually, could I then start to, I don't know, delve into the work of Bruce Tuckman, for example, and really look at, how teams are formed and the dynamics of teams and how do we move the team from being at say the kind of forming stage to moving more towards high performing and by doing that what you're also being able to do is you're starting to look at the the organizational culture and structure of the teams and starting to think about you know no matter what stage we're at in our career all of us have uh, really unique experiences that we can share. If you think about it, if you're still in training, you can you can see the good, the bad, and the ugly of things that go on because you rotate. When you stay in a role for a period of time, so as you progress through, one of the things that you can really see at that point is you can see a longer term experience of what goes well within the team, the nuances, how people come in and out, and you get to see maybe more of the cycle of how a team works. But one of the things that's useful about that is that if you know it's a strength, is to make sure that you start to let other people know too. So one of the things that I find that people don't do enough of is kind of sharing that strength. So one of the action that I would say is a takeaway from today for anyone is thinking about, so with one of your strengths, all of you will definitely have one, please don't be shy to express it with yourself, is thinking, well, what could I do with that to build on it further? So it's not to necessarily not look at the development side, but it's more around if I've got this, how can I kind of showcase it a bit more and really take on that greatness like, and think about it? So for me, that in relation to our career is such a wonderful way to think because we start to really build up, as I said before, what we're known for, you know, and that's really where it kind of comes from. And I guess the other thing that I was thinking along, along alongside that is a really nice exercise to regularly do is to focus on you. So one of the things that might be quite nice, and this is another really good way to try and remember and appreciate all the great things that you've done, because often what happens is you're still so busy doing the day job that we don't have those moments. So it can be simply, you know, it could just be one thing, but ideally I love three, three great things that happened this week were, and, and it might just be that I got up, I got into a role and did this and was able to do this. It doesn't need to be anything profound, but the other thing that might be quite nice is to also think about two things I learned about others. So if you particularly for you, because of the emotional intelligence, the comms and the teamwork, that part of you would be so good to continue. Like, what did I learn from the team, from friends, from loved ones, from patients? And how is that helping me to be a better practitioner? So that is where I think would be quite nice. And then the, the one which is uh, important to do alongside that is also to identify maybe a struggle. So like the main struggle I faced this week was, and if I was advising someone with the same struggle, I'd recommend them to do. So there's something around thinking about, um, one of the things that you can do is to be kind to yourself and think about what would I say to a friend if they were saying that 
to me. And I think in a way, if we can start to have that compassion and self-compassion, thinking about that for ourselves, it's such a wonderful way to take on the journey of really thinking about imposter syndrome in a positive way, thinking about how can I look at that and shape it? So yeah, they're, they're the sort of things that I think would be really valuable to do. Yeah, thank you, Susie. I just want to go ahead and get a journal and sit and write down those questions and go through them now. So that's 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 really helpful. And I think, as as you say, um, you know, you mentioned earlier about the way that we talk to ourselves, and I think the way that we speak to ourselves is so different to how we speak to other people, and and the things that we say to ourselves we wouldn't dream of saying to other people. So I think that's a really nice framework to kind of um, think of if if a, lo- a loved one or if a friend, if one of my colleagues was going through this, then what would I say to them? because it'll probably be much nicer than what we would say to ourselves. And I think those those questions are really helpful because it's a way of kind of, we're sort of learning to coach ourselves there, aren't we? To, to appreciate what our strengths are and then think about the things that we've learned and what we're struggling with and then the other things that that we can focus on. I think um, thinking about what do I want to be known for is is a really nice question to, to think about as well. So thank you. You've given us lots of really helpful questions and, and frameworks there. So I would like to ask you a few uh, quick fire questions, if if that's okay. Um, so the first question that I want to ask is um, because I really like reading. So I'm always after more book recommendations, which I probably shouldn't be asking because I just keep buying lots and lots of books and um, buying them at a rate that's much faster than the rate that I'm reading through them. But do you have one or two book recommendations for us? So on this topic, there is a really good book called The Disease to Please. Okay. No, it's actually behind me. Um, I'm just trying to think of the author's name, but maybe if, if you don't mind me turning. Yes, around. of course, that's fine. Um, oh yeah, it's um, it's that lovely pink book that's further down here, which is by um, I'll break her. Um, yeah, so it's you actually will be able to Google it quite easily, but that one is really good. And there is another book which is around. Um, let me just see if I can find that one too, which is fantastic. Ah, yeah, there's there's one which is called, um, it's called Design Your Work Life. Um, and one of the things that's quite nice about Design Your Work Life, it's all connected around um, happiness. And because we were thinking about, you know, ourselves and what we're doing, it connects to how we want to, to work. And I think that one's by Bill Burnett. I'm just trying to remember his name, but I think that's there's a couple of things like that which are good. There are books on imposter syndrome, of course. But some of the things that within that, it kind of goes into quite a lot, a lot of depth and it might go into the other person's life as well. So sometimes I find that th- these are quite good. But uh, yeah, so those two are particularly good. There is a book which um, there is a bit of a philosophy or a mantra that I have in my head. It's not connected to this, but I always say to myself, what would Frida do? And Frida Kahlo. And so I was given this book, uh, I think it was last year. And one of the things that I, I absolutely love about her story and life and everything connected to it was the adversity and how she came through because she had real purpose and she had focus. And sometimes when I feel scared or nervous or not sure about something, I kind of have in my head what would Frida do? And there is actually a book called What Would Frida Do? So it's not anything to do with this, but it's it's so uplifting and it takes each chapter, but it just gets you in that right mindset of where you're thinking about curiosity, optimism, persistence, flexibility, and just feeling like you know when to take the right risk. So there's those ones that I'd say. Great. Thank you, Susie. And we'll put links to all of those books in the show notes. Um, so my next question for you is, is there something that you know now that you wish that you had known earlier on in your career? Uh, yes, 
So I think that for me, one of the things that I would say is that when I was sort of my younger self, I think I felt like there was just this like conveyor belt of what you did. And, and really what I realized is that, and this is just such, for me, was just so fantastic when I visualize it to myself, but basically our life is really full of twists and turns and squiggles. And I would kind of align it more to a maze where we go, we go down one route and there might be a dead end. It doesn't mean that that wasn't a rich experience, but it shapes us in each way. And so I suppose once I realized that it, it freed me and it freed me to really think about, I guess, about what I do now and how I pivoted my career to do it and in what way I take shape. And that was just so, so uplifting um, to realize that. And I think when you're in medicine, sometimes it can feel like you're like that. And so there is so many opportunities that you can do to really enrich your journey. And that's what I love doing when I'm working with people is really finding that fire in their belly, that mojo. And once I get that, it just we just get going. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I definitely resonate with with that feeling of sort of feeling like you're on a on a conveyor belt and, and you just have to have to keep going. So so that's that's really helpful. My next question is what is the best advice that you've ever been given that you that you think might help other people? So I've been given lots of different bits of advice over the years. One of the things that I think is really useful to do, um, I suppose, is around curiosity. So one of the things that I was, I suppose the best way of describing it was, I really love uh, detective, like quintessential British, uh, it's really predominantly British, murder mysteries. I just find it very relaxing. And some, one, um, one of my seniors at the time said, well, you should kind of channel your inner Sherlock Holmes or your Miss Marple. And whenever you're given something, really think about that curious thinker in you and don't be shy to kind of question and think because that's really where the possibilities come from and what I've really realized about myself over the years is that that really is where my strength lies but when someone gives you that permission to think about it it's really beneficial so that's what I would say that one yep I think that's a that's that's a great one my next question is a question that I've borrowed from the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health and US group, who are a group of children and young people. And they were involved with interviewing the presidents for the RCPCH. And I asked them if, if, if I could borrow it because I thought it was brilliant. And they very kindly said yes. So the question is, if you were a type of biscuit, what type of biscuit would you be and why? Oh, right. So I'm Scottish. So mm-hmm. I kind of need to be a tonics tea cake. Yeah. Now I don't know if you know tonic. Do you know a tonics tea cake? Yes. If you don't have it. It's like there's the circular. So it's circular. It's got a base and it's got that curve there and it's got that squidgy stuff in the middle and it's got that kind of biscuity at the bottom. And I think you get the best of all worlds. So you get biscuit. You get that kind of in the mind, and then you've then got the chocolate around it. And I think that for me, that connects to heritage. Um, it's also something like you it's got a surprise in the middle so you just don't know that the first time you bite it and it's got a good crunch and I think that kind of describes me <laughs> I, th- I think that's a that's a lovely answer thank you so much Susie where can if people want to find out um, a bit more about the the work that you do where where's the best place for them to find so, you um, yes so I suppose you could look at my website which is uh, wonderif.co.uk and um, but the other thing is depending on where you're based in the country and what stage of your career you might find that I work I work in lots of different organizations and come in so you might find me there as well so depending on where you're based 
you you might find my name pop up. But if, if you if anyone needs to get in touch or has a question, I've got this really lovely um, book that I'm really happy to send out. It's a workbook called um, The Little Book of Career Thoughts. So if anyone wants to email me and say, I'd love you to send it, I can send that across. It's it's a nice workbook to think about your must-haves, what, what you like doing. It's got elements of bias in it to kind of think about, particularly around key career stages. Really happy to send that across. Then they can just email and just then I can send it across. Yeah. Great. Thank thank you so much, Susie. And is there anything else that you wanted to to share with our with our listeners today? Uh, nothing in particular, except for to say, you know, if you've been listening to this, I hope you've been able to take some snippets that you can put into action, try things out, but just have that self-belief that you are not the only person. Everyone around you is thinking and feeling something similar. They just might not be showing it. And so don't forget that at each and every time, if you're feeling it, don't think that you're the only person because other people will be feeling the same way. Absolutely. Um, and I don't think we we share that enough. So I hope that we can kind of change change the culture of, of the workforce where we are all speaking about that. Because I think once you sort of start sharing that, oh, I'm feeling this, suddenly everybody starts saying the same and, and it's really reassuring that everybody everybody feels that way which is what I'm hoping to get from this podcast that that everyone can feel reassured that 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 we all have similar thoughts in our heads regardless of who we are and what stage of our careers that we're at so thank you so much uh, Susie for coming on the podcast and sharing all of your wisdom with us it's a pleasure and look after yourself and thank you so much take care Thank you for listening to the Medical Women podcast. Make sure to subscribe for free on whichever podcast platform you listen on so that you can automatically get our episodes. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be so grateful if you could rate and review the podcast. This is a brand new podcast and it would really help people to know that we exist. If you're interested in joining the Medical Women's Federation, we'd love to have you. And all links to our website and social media are in the show notes. This podcast has been produced on behalf of the Medical Women's Federation by Dr. Nathana Bankram and Miss Jenna McKenzie. Our music was composed and played by Miss Kithki Bankram. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you again soon.